Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. All right. I would like to welcome everybody back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today, we're going to continue with the theme of brain health and mindfulness and mindful approach. And, you know, today, you know, we have Jessie Smith with us, and she is going to share with us, you know, her knowledge around, you know, concussion, around mindfulness, around uh, probably compassion, and many other topics uh, in between how to, how to actually start to create your own practice and really work towards implementing it, that in your life. Our guest today, she's a survivor of brain injury. She's the, the founder of Mindful Concussion, and she's just really passionate about the topic and looking forward to sharing some of her learnings with our audience today. So Jesse, you know, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's, it's such a deep honor uh, to speak with you and share some of my hard-earned lessons along the way with others. Oh, great. Thank you again. Is there anything in your bio that you'd like uh, for our listeners to better understand? Uh, I guess the only thing I would add is that I was trained through the University of California Center for Mindfulness and mm -hmm. in to become a qualified mindfulness teacher. So I kind of combined my own personal experience along this journey from my car accident in 2013 and then adding the more professional training that I've had as a mindfulness teacher and also doing additional learnings such as the trauma-sensitive mindfulness training with David Trelevin and things like that to add to my training. Wonderful. And, and just, I look forward to, I'm going to be taking notes today too. I'm fortunate though, I'm recording this so I can always come back to it later. But, you know, Jesse, for those that are listening, our, our audience, you know, we were talking about this earlier. These can be, you know, professionals out there in the space, but they can also be individuals that may have had a concussion, a brain injury, a stroke, and then also people that are just really interested in the topic. As you think about that term mindfulness, you know, I, I sometimes struggle with it because for it, it can kind of be challenging to really underpin, okay, what does that actually mean, you know, in a practice and us being, you know, we're recording this, we're in British Columbia, Canada, near Vancouver, you know, we're seeing, I think, when we look at a, a worldview as a pretty strong center for mindfulness, maybe that's because we're near the home of Lululemon, I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm wondering for those that are listening, you know, Jesse, what is a main message you, that you'd like for people to just, you know, better understand around, you know, concussion, brain injury, and mindfulness? Yeah, well, that's a wonderful question. And for me, it's really about this uh, concept of the devil-edged sword of mindfulness. So um, the idea that mindfulness is absolutely the bomb that our injured brain and our discombobulated nervous system so needs. To me, it's been such a gift to find stillness and to find quiet and to build a, a range of practices that settle me. And also ways that allow me to meet my challenges with more grace and more wisdom and make wise choices and practice responding well as opposed to reacting <laughs> mm -hmm. unwisely. 
you know, when the oatmeal hits the fan and when my symptoms get come on strong. So that's all been very beautiful. Um, but at the same time, I found myself, and I know this is true for others, that some of the ways in which traditional mindfulness is taught was completely and utterly overwhelming to me. And I had instances where in the middle of practice, it just paying intimate, deep, and prolonged attention to my symptoms just made them worse. And I could actually feel the stress hormone cortisol almost flooding my system. And at times I ended up practically in a panic attack. So this was very challenging. And I ended up, thankfully, having tasted the sweet, sweet feeling of the gathered mind and the benefits of mindfulness before those things happened, then I knew that this was something I wanted to do more of. And in time, I learned and figured out on my own a range of modifications that would allow me to take advantage of mindfulness, the staying in the present moment, not being lost in thought and worries about the future and regrets about the past, and just being staying in the present moment and without going into overwhelm. So that's, that's my main message is it's so important as a skill for survivors to learn, but it's so important that you learn to say no to your teacher when it's too much. Mm. So like starting to understand, you know, yourself a little bit better and your own limits around the practice. I don't think I've ever heard it kind of phrased quite like that. And I think that's a super, you know, interesting, you know, perspective that could be applied in many different ways, because, you know, as I kind of mentioned earlier, mindfulness, you know, I think many people see it as a, as a simple solution. And as you know, and, and I know, and many of us that actually practice understand that's not true. <laughs> There's not a lot like I now for some, maybe, but, you know, to get to that mindful state of awareness of, of really, you know, being present, especially in this world of constant distraction, that can be really challenging and very, very hard. And, and I think, you know, is there anything more that you want to kind of expand upon that? Given that you've, you've put in so much time and attention and energy into better understanding, not just mindfulness for yourself, but how to help others, especially others with brain injury to adopt a similar practice. Yeah. So I think an important thing for people who are not survivors, and of course, many concussion survivors are also trauma survivors, but not all of us, but we have, we are very reactive, right? It is within our nature to have a very dysregulated nervous system. And we can easily, very quickly go into hyper arousal where our nervous system is like, we get angry, we get anxious, we get afraid. Or we can go into hypoarousal where we're like depressed or down or numb or disassociated. These are very common. Most survivors will understand those or even jumping between them. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing with the mindful concussion approach is trying to cultivate calm clarity and increase the ability to stay within what we call the window of tolerance. So that our nervous system isn't jumping up into that hypo-aroused, angry, afraid <laughs> state or way down where we're under-aroused. And we're actually mm. kind of practicing the Goldilocks principle. We're, we're mm. in the sweet spot in the middle. And so one thing that a lot of mindfulness teachers who don't understand concussion and trauma 
they, 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 there's this misunderstanding that if you start to have difficulty in practice, that you can easily just get out of that and just like somehow magically stop feeling that way. Or that if you stay with the practice, and a lot of teachers will say, if it starts to feel difficult, just stay with it longer. The practice is to stay, stay, stay. Mm. And if you are have a healthy nervous system, that can work. But if you don't, then you can really easily go far out of your window tolerance and asking someone to pay that intimate, prolonged attention to very challenging sensations, emotions, thoughts. It can be like handing someone a syringe full of cortisol and sending them back to their medication. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's such an excellent perspective to share because you kind of, we think about sometimes that Gladwell concept, you know, the 10,000 hours, which is a lot of negotiation and debate around, but that the principle in theory makes some sense is that you are what you pay attention to. And it's really interesting. I love, it's almost counterintuitive what you're saying to this practice, but if we're paying attention to our pain and our suffering and our, our hurt, then we're actually, you know, bringing about more of that to ourselves. And why would we do that? So, I mean, I, I, I love this perspective. So let's say, you know, it's causing discomfort. It's causing that, especially when we're thinking, I love what you, the distinction you made around trauma. Thank you for that. I think that's a really important, like really thank you for that distinction. When you think about that, let's say it's not necessarily, you know, let's say I'm the, the client you're working with and, you know, I'm struggling with that. It's bringing about the wrong kind of sensations and pushing through it isn't going to help me. What do we then do? you know, the, this kind of, this mindful approach, what would you then suggest? Okay, so first of all, I think it's important to step back and start. So in the mindful concussion approach, what we do is we, we start with anchors of attention. So in mindfulness, we bring our attention to the present moment, usually using one of the five senses, you know, what we, what we see, what we smell, what we touch, what we taste, and, and what we hear. and we can offer mindful anchors that are more likely to be settling and feel safe. So that's where we start. And that allows people to get that sense of, you know, the buzzing mind back in the past, up the future. And then we just give that mind a place to land in a place that's more regulating and settling. And this is different from a lot of traditional practices where you right away, first day, you're like, boom, let's feel it all. Let's feel all this, all the sensations right away for a long time, you know, a 45 minute body scan. And when I was introduced to do that, I was like, nope, nope, there's no way I'm doing that. And I didn't even realize it, that my body was saying no, but I was really having heavy resistance to that. So in the mindful concussion care program, what we start with is mindful anchors that are least likely to overwhelm. So we start with things like mindful eating, making sure that people are choosing food they actually like. And lo and behold, people are like, wow, this apple tastes amazing. I'm fully present for it. I'm not lost in worries about my concussion. I'm just here with this apple, you know? And then we also practice things like mindfulness in nature where we just go outside and enjoy the sun and the breeze and the bare feet on the grass and, mm. and loving the flowers. It's so settling and so beautiful. 
talk about the senses being engaged. You know, that's something that really triggered for me. You know, when you think about that, and if if we're in, you know, a nice spring day, we're probably going to trigger, you know, most of the, I don't know if that's the right word, but most of the senses, right, in nature like that. But you have to practice it because mm. you, you might remember times where you've been outside and you're busy talking to your friend or you've got your music in your ear or you're going for a walk, but your mind is busy thinking about the next thing and you're not actually that present. Mm. So I teach a number of range of activities that allows people to be more present uh, with those, really actively keeping the mind in the present and, and just enjoying it. Um, so the whole part point of mindful concussion to start off with is about giving people resources so that they can settle their system and also so that if they feel that they're starting to go into overwhelm, then they can turn to those resources, right? So whether it's mindfulness in nature, mindful eating, mindful self-compassion, we practice just really knowing that this is a struggle knowing that this is not just me, but there's millions of us going through this mm -hmm. and then offering ourselves soothing touch, rubbing the arm, giving ourselves a heart hug, mm. cooling little kind words to ourselves. So we practice a range of these activities and people experiment with what mm. works for them. So some people might, for example, really resonate with the yoga that we do. And the yoga that I encourage people to try out is either restorative yoga or yin yoga. And just to kind of leave the hatha vinyasa to the side. And in yin yoga, we are practicing stretching our fascia and we're practicing really, you know, our issues in our, our, in our tissues. So we're like trying to do that release. And in restorative yoga, they're just the kind of gentle poses that take us to our deep, calm center. And that is so healing and so rare in our busy, busy lives that people actually go to a deep level of rest and digest. Mm. So we practice all of these things to start and everybody's different. So Mark, you might prefer the nature and somebody else prefers the mindful self-compassion or, or they like little bits of this or depending how they're feeling. So we begin by practicing that. And the purpose is to help people settle, but also as a resource for when things get difficult. So the mindful concussion approach isn't about avoiding our difficulties. It's just about introducing, paying attention to our physical and emotional challenges at the right time. Mm. So we don't do it day one. You know, we, we, we get people so that they can feel more resourced, feel that they have skills they can turn to if they start to feel themselves going into overwhelm. And then they have the capacity to start to sit with the hard stuff. But you just don't do it right away. And so we, we practice listening for those little warning sounds. So for Mark, if you start to feel stressed, what do you notice in your body? What are the sensations that you have? Oh, the, the heart rate. It, you know, I can definitely sense the heart rate going up. And that, that's probably the first thing. And yeah, and that, that's great that you already know that, right? So if you feel your heart going, you're like, oh, I better pause, pivot, and proceed with what I need that's going to take me back into my window of tolerance and calm this heart rate down. If you're safe, right? Like sometimes right. our heart rate goes up because we're in danger and we need to take <laughs> care of something, right? 
It's our right. body's wisdom telling us to, you know, watch out. But if we are safe, then we can turn to one of those resources. Right. And so partly people start to learn what those physical sensations are, whether it's the heart rate, the, the sweaty palms, the tight muscles. People start to watch for that. They also watch for mood. You know, mm. they start to feel strong emotions or they can start to notice thoughts if your thoughts are really fast. So we start by noticing that before it's a big alarm bell, right? We start to no we notice the warning signs. And then once people are more resourced in that way, then we can start to actually lean into those difficult physical sensations and emotions that come up with mindfulness. And then it's really powerful. And the difference that we do in the mindful concussion care approach is that we encourage people, one, to be in choice. Don't do it if it's completely unsettling. They're always in choice. And second of all, you control the dose. Right. So we're not going to throw someone into the deep end of mindfulness until you just flail about and feel everything. <laughs> we're going to encourage you to dip a toe in, dip a foot in, but don't jump in the lake. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's great. And I think, you know, it's, it's funny. I was actually just chatting with a friend uh, today, you know, about this and, you know, he's, he's someone who's just starting to develop a mindfulness practice. And, you know, it almost sounded like it was another kind of chore. Like, I'm, I'm going to get into this mindfulness thing. So I'm checking the box, right? Yeah. Um, everybody seems to be talking about it, which I can understand and appreciate because that's the way my mind tends to work. However, I've, over the years, I've really developed it into a practice of just part of what I do, part of who I am. And, you know, but it took for me, I had to almost see it to move it into habit. I almost had to see it as a task that I had to be cognizant of and then formed it into a habit over time. And it was one of those things for me, what, what helped me, and it's sitting right by my desk, <laughs> was I actually got a Muse, one of these QEEG devices, and it helped me kind of get started. And continues to provide me some level of biofeedback about, you know, how I may be doing and then starts to train me into how my body is when it is relaxed so that I can feel it now without the device. And I think that's, you know, been for me, that's not for everyone, but for me, that was definitely helpful. And you know me, I'm a bit of a science guy. So <laughs> I, 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 full disclosure, I like my data. But, you know, for people that are out there, you know, and you're so encouraging, you know, what's an encouragement that you could really share with people out there that are saying, God, you know, <sighs> I've had multiple concussions. I've got a lot of stress. I don't have time for this. And I don't know how to start this. I have too much on my plate. How in the heck am I going to fit this into my already extremely busy life? You know, what's an encouragement that you might have for the people that are listening out there that are in that situation right now? Sure. Well, first of all, I think that if, if you're too busy and you're constantly feeling like crap, then you have huge incentive to take up mm. this practice <laughs> because, you know, there's nothing better than feeling better. Right. And of course, everyone's situation is different and, and no two, two, two concussions are the same and everybody's journey is different. But a really important part is, you know, what OTs are saying is pace yourself. 
and mm. and you know take take on what you can because we're so used to pushing up against the edge of life right being right up against it and then something mm. difficult happens and boom we're like really even worse or or for example um yeah anyway so that that's that but i i, I just would like to give a concrete example of a headache and you can sub, you could substitute any concussion symptom you'd like but of course many of us understand that one so Without mindfulness, here's what often happens. People get a headache, feel a headache come on, and then they tighten their muscles around it, like they're on their eyes and their jaw and their other parts of the body, and then the mind gets tight. You go into like, whoa, I did too much yesterday, and that's why I got a headache, and now I'm never going to get better, and you're thinking about the future. So you're definitely not being mindful. You're lost in loops of thought. It's getting ramping up more scary, more scary, the, the stress hormones are flooding the body. And then before you know it, what are you doing? I don't know, doing anything to avoid this headache, going off and doing maladaptive, you know, binging on whatever it is that you binge on. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really work. <laughs> and so with mindfulness, what we do is we become more able to notice, oh, I, I feel a headache coming on. Mm. And we do that pause. And in the pivot, we look and say, oh, what do I need now to resource myself as this symptom is coming on? And then you have that wisdom where you're making a choice about what to do rather than having it be so automatic. You're not following your mind back to the past or into the future. You're keeping it in the present. And most importantly, you're letting go of this additional piece. So it's bad enough to have a headache, but it's twice as hard if we add on the tight muscles and the tight mind that just take us into a whole nother level of stress about it, rather than actually just like, oh, I have a headache. What can I do? I'm going to go do some long, slow, deep breathing, which I love. It's also a modification that I do. I don't just do notice your breath, which a lot of mindfulness encourages. In my case, I've, I learned through brain streams has a beautiful breathing exercise. Mm done by an actor who put together these videos about it. And I did this very early on and it's so calming, not for everyone. For some people, long, slow, deep breaths is dysregulating, but for many people it is. So you, you ask yourself, what do I need? Do I need to lie down? Do I need some food? Do I need to talk to a friend? Do I need to take a drug? Like, what do I need? And then it's a thoughtful choice. And so that's just one example of that. But I found that if we practice and of course the benefits of mindfulness are dose dependent the more you do it mm -hmm. the more you benefit and i loved your example mark of how at first you needed more support and then in time it becomes a muscle memory and exactly. so we practice on the cushion like formally so that we mm -hmm. learn how to do it and to settle ourselves and then after that we begin to just be able to call on it when we need it when we feel those symptoms start we can take care of ourselves before they really ramp up. And so the idea is with practice, we can reduce the frequency, intensity, and duration of our reactivity to our symptoms. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, for people that are, you know, listening to this and, you know, this message, you know, kind of finds you right where you need to hear it, you know, when you look at your current situation, what's stopping you from giving this a try? You know, like mindfulness, I feel like is probably more accessible. I mean, I think it, that's the funny thing. 
is I think it's always been extremely accessible. I think a lot of the barriers are self-imposed and myself included for sure. Cause you know me, right. I'm a pretty, you know, I, I like to be product- what I perceive as productive at trying to get a lot of things done. However, really starting the day with mindful awareness helps you to better understand what you want to direct in your day and what you may have to choose to react to. And, you know, I know for me, that's really, mindfulness has really helped me to get clearer on that concept. And I I don't know if that hits home for anybody that's listening, but I hope it does because I know it still does for me. You know, I'm still the kind of person that regardless of how long I've been working on my mindful practice, I am still the kind who wants to be out and about getting things done during the day against, you know, my goals, my vision. But also I've learned to start to become a tiny little bit better at, at being able to sit and to just be, and, and what a great, you know, feeling that is when you can truly be present where you're at and, um, you know, you know, re- really listening to your message here today, I hope is going to help people to better understand just how transformative that can be in one's, you know, current perspective, and then how that helps to shape your future and the relationships that you hold and the relationships that maybe you choose to not be as engaged with. Yeah, well, a couple of things. I, 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 li- I liked how you noted how uh, about the wanting to be productive and active. And I just wanted to highlight that when we're first learning mindfulness, it's, in, it's, it's most helpful to kind of slow down and do the slow practices, you know, the slow walking, the sitting practice, the mindful eating that's slow. So we, we got to learn with the baby steps. Mm. But actually, the true value is being able to bring that mindful awareness all day long when we are going quickly. I, mm-hmm. I, I was at a monastery, Birkin Monastery in BC once, and the abbot there said to me, Jesse, mindfulness doesn't have to be slow. You know, children, for example, are very mindful mm. that they are fully in the present moment and man, are they fast, right? They're running, but they're not rushing. So the difference is to let go of that rushing feeling, but we can be in the kitchen, you know, cooking, mm. cutting, frying, whatever you're doing and be very mindful and present. I find it more challenging to be the quicker I am, the harder I is to stay present, but it's a beautiful practice to be mindful when we are fast. And then the other thing I wanted to touch on was, sorry, I just wanted to touch on, um, you mentioned this a bit about how it benefits others. And I think sometimes people feel kind of in our society, there is the idea of doing self-care is kind of shaming. Like I remember one time early on, I said to a friend, oh, I have to spend so much time on self-care, you know, with my yoga and my walks and my nature and my, all this stuff. And she just looked at me and she says, what's wrong with that? That's great. Right. Mm -hmm. Like actually we're kind of forced to take care of ourselves in a way that many other people can override. They'll end up dying of a stroke or heart attack, but we'll be like, Oh, we're good because we're calm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to say as well, that when we practice mindfulness, it rubs off on other people. Right. So that when we can be more calm in our calm center, then all the people around us benefit because they're also not as reactive as they see you being more calm. Your relationships become easier. I mean, I don't want to oversell it, but I'm just saying that um, there's benefits to everyone. Not, it's not just for you. 
I think that's very, very true. And that's been my experience. And with every teacher that I've seen around, you know, uh, mindfulness, that's a very common thread. And I really liked what you hit on with children too. And you're right that, you know, when you think about what they're doing, I watched my kind of five-year-old nephew, you know, he's very mindful and he's very fast. (laughs) But yeah, it's a good distinction that you make there on that. And I think that's something for all of us to really consider and think about as we, you know, continue on with our busy lives is how, how can we actually move forward in a way that is more present and mindful, not meaning slow, but just, I don't know, present and purposeful, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. when you think about this work, then, you know, and, and concussion and brain health, if there was kind of one thing that you'd like to see change, what would that be? And it can be whatever you want. There's no limits here. It's just whatever you feel like, if, if you could change one thing and have the capacity to do so, you know, what might that be? <laughs> well, I think I kind of mentioned it before about the idea of understanding the power of mindfulness, but knowing that you're always in choice and you can begin to practice, but you really listen to your to your body and what it's telling you and, you, and, and people, not just individuals, but the professionals that care for people. So I was told early on from GF Strong to take up mindfulness, and I was so happy that they did. But I was really later disappointed that it didn't come with any warning tag, you know, no counterindications. And I had to learn myself how to manage that overwhelm that I went into in practice. And other people won't. I was lucky I had done yoga, and I'd already kind of had some modifications that I'd already had to do in yoga. So I sort of had some experience with modifying practice, but other people may just go totally into overwhelm, not try it again, figure they can't do it. And so my hope really is that there is a mindful revolution (laughs) for Mm -hmm. concussion care, but that it's done very thoughtfully. And that every time a professional recommends mindfulness, they do say, look, you have to listen and don't allow yourself to go into overwhelm and choose practices that are settling. Later on, when people, as I said, have more capacity, then yes, you can lean into the difficult, but don't do it on day one. It's really important because to be honest, there are times when people really have adverse experiences and I don't, I don't want that. And also one of my students said to me after taking my course, she said, Jesse, everyone who has a brain injury should take your course. <laughs> and I said, oh, and I thought, well, okay, that's not, that might be a dream, but it's not possible. <laughs> but I do hope is that I have created this emerging map of nervous system concepts. You know, I didn't come out of therapy or, or counseling, but I've learned so much about the nervous system. And one day, all of these concepts, you know, fight, flight, and freeze, and the window of tolerance and nervous system arousal, And all of these things kind of came together in a map in my mind and overlapped. And then I created a map and I worked with an artist who helped me make a video about it. All of this is available on my website. And I think it's a visual way for people to very quickly say, where am I? Am I in my window of tolerance? Am I out? And what am I feeling? And it's like a quick reference. And I just hope that would be, that's a very self-serving perhaps, but that's what I hope is that people can quickly see that to learn because it's really helped me and really helps my students. And I hope it will help others. I love that. And 
you know, so it almost relates to something else that I wanted to try to better understand is, you know, when, you know, people are, you mentioned GF strong, let's say they've been in GF strong and they're, and they're discharged, you know, what would you like to see through your work and other people that you've seen doing good work in this space? What would your hope for the future be for that next generation of people over the next couple of decades? What would your hope be for them? And even for the clinicians? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really about agency mm. and building a program of care that works for you. And you know, it's important that we all work with a range of professionals. We might work with your program, Mark. We might work occupational therapists. Uh, I, as I mentioned before, I have found somatic trauma therapy to be hugely supportive for me. So all of these things can help us. And then if people can build their own mindful concussion program that really supports them, I do some activities where I do like 10 different mindful practices in a short period of time. And people get to practice each of them for like a minute or two. And at the end of that, everyone has a preference for a different one. It's so obvious how different we are. So it's impossible for your caregivers, all of the people who who support you professionally to know what you need because we are all different. So we need to be in this big experiment where our body is the beaker and we figure out what works for us and that we're given agency and power and choice And we can lean into our difficulties and we can titrate out. If it gets too difficult, you know, we pull back and then we we choose an anchor that's more settling. We stop practice. We look around and we say, hey, I need to talk to a friend right now, right? But that we, uh, like one of my students recently told me, she said, Jesse, before I took your course, I felt like I was a slave to my symptoms. And now I feel like I have agency over that. And to me, that that is what I want for everyone. Oh, 100%. And, you know, it's, it's almost the same, you know, since someone we had on earlier on the podcast, Dr. Cam Clark, you know, said a similar concept, you know, in that. And I really like this quote because I think it does relate to the concept of agency. You know, what, what Cam was suggesting is you are not your next thought. And when you really think about that, it's like, whoa, you know, we almost tend to put possession against some of those thoughts when really a thought is simply just that, a a passing thought. And that does not define you. And, you know, the symptom could be something related to or unrelated, (laughs) you know, but you are not your symptom and your symptom does not define you and your symptoms can change. And I think that that's one of the things as I got into this work. And I mean, thank you for reminding me, but we met before, I, I think at UBC. And because mindfulness has always been something that I've been just fascinated by. And, you know, I'm so happy that we have elements of it in our, in our program, because I know it's so incredibly valuable. And the research on it is so incredibly robust. However, again, I come back to almost lack of awareness for the greater community on what mindfulness really is. Mindfulness does not mean yoga class in a busy schedule and clicking and checking that box that I went to yoga today. So I am living a healthy life and I'm mindful when if we're actually approaching that as yet another task yet to be accomplished, that almost defeats the purpose. So it's a very interesting thing around agency. I like what you said there because 
many, you know, it's something that gets me out of bed every day in doing this work was, and an agency is the right word yet again, used slightly differently, is many people with brain injury are not given the option to choose to get themselves better. And, you know, that is the good fight that you and I are in together is to try to at least provide some options for people to have the choice to engage with something that may help them to regain more independence and more of their lives back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, that's something that I think where definitely our work intersects is just being able to provide the education and the opportunity, the training, so that one can have the opportunity to choose. And I think mm-hmm. that and I think part of it for me is that acknowledgement that this part of the mindfulness <clears throat> that's so powerful is to say, this is how I'm feeling now and not to fight it. Things really shifted for me after I saw a neurologist and he said, Jesse, you know, this is where you're at right now and you need to live within this for now. It doesn't mean it may change later or you'll have more skills later, but I was trying to get back my old life and suffering so much for that because I was doing too much. So as soon as I reduced my work and Mm. spent more time on self-care, I felt so much better. So, and then the other thing that was really important to me is in building my program, it's not just mindfulness. I think some teachers are so hyper-focused on the noticing aspect of mindfulness and just the kind of being with and, and I know we both love Rick Hansen and he talks about there's the being with of mindfulness, which is mm-hmm. powerful and important, but then there's the working with, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, mm-hmm. I, I think of that as the resourcing. We notice mm-hmm. what's happening and we pause and we pivot and then we proceed with actions that resource ourselves for what we need in that moment. And so that, that, that is important to know what's happening. But for example, one of the things that we practice is gratitude, right? So life's really hard with the concussion and it's easy to focus our intention on the hard stuff. But you know what? Even though you might be feeling nauseous today, the sun is shining and the leaves are moving and that your friend is smiling and there's just beauty that we can be with. And Rick Hansen talks about the importance of being with the good and how that settles our nervous system and trains the nervous system to be able to uh, benefit from positive experiences in the future. So that's that. And I call this anding. So it's like, it's hard. And look Mm. at that beautiful flower. Oh, I mean, you know, I, I, as I think about this, I have ideas. When we're done this recording, I have another idea to throw at you that will, I'm sure will make something pretty cool happen. So, you know, you, you mentioned Rick Hansen and I love the man in motion as well. We're up here in Canada. Rick Hansen is very well known for doing remarkable work in the world of special populations, of spinal cord injury. He's amazing. He went around the world in a wheelchair and raised a lot of money for spinal cord research. And he's done a lot of work around the world on increasing accessibility for people with disabilities. But the other Rick Hansen is who we're talking about here. <laughs> so they're both wonderful people. But this Rick Hansen is a psychiatrist and is a remarkable mindfulness teacher. And it actually at extremely, I mean, you'd see it from how he presents himself in the world. He's a very mindful person. And, you know, a book that really, you know, stands, there's two of his that really stand out to me. There's Buddhist Brain. And then there's also 
Hardwiring Happiness, which for me is probably one of the most, probably top five most powerful books I've ever read. Because what he talks about, it's a, exactly what, you, what you're speaking about. He really relates the mind and the brain very, very well. And what I mean by that distinction is, is the brain being the neurophysiology and then the mind being the thoughts. And, and you know, he does such a good job. This one concept that he talks about in there calls T-I-T-G, uh, taking in the good. And, you know, it's really interesting because we're kind of hardwired with this negativity bias, all of us, and it's for survival purposes. But what Rick does such a wonderful job of is explaining the neurophysiology of that, why it's there, and why it can be so challenging for us to unwire that negativity into a good thought. And I'd never heard it explained quite like he explained it. And, uh, you know, just, yeah, I, I, I am giving a book recommendation there for Hardwiring Happiness because I just think it's a wonderful book. But I'm wondering if there's, you know, I, I think about your approach and all of the wisdom that you shared here today. Is there, is there one kind of favorite book that's helped to kind of shape some of your, your approach to this practice? Yeah, definitely. So in the early days, when I said I was kind of like saying no to what my teachers were telling me to do, and really listening to my body and what I needed and mo making these modifications that I just have shared with you, I used to call it cheating. Like I just thought it was cheating and doing <laughs> and I knew I needed to do it. But I felt on some level a little bit of shame, like other mm -hmm. people can do it, but I can't. Right. But look at that, I'm benefiting from doing it this way. And Somehow I had the wherewithal to keep with it and do it the way that worked for me. But then a few years ago, I came across the work of uh, David Trelevin. And he's a Canadian psychotherapist, author, writer, and very at the cutting edge of trauma-sensitive mindfulness. And his book, Trauma-Sensitive Mindfulness, is a must-read, absolute must-read for any professional who is working with anybody that has trauma, or I would say that many of the issues are closely related to concussion issues, but certainly many of the concussion survivors are trauma survivors. And then I was like, oh, that's when I took up the word modification, because that's what mm. he uses. Instead mm. of cheating, I was like, oh, I'm just modifying, and this is working right. for me, and it works for others. And that was really empowering. So I definitely recommend his book. He has an amazing course that I'm in the middle of taking now. And he has a, a monthly Zoom session that he does. It's free and very powerful. So uh, I would definitely check out his work. T-R-E-L-E-A-V-A-N or E. We'll, we'll have it in the show notes. Don't worry. Yes. I'll make sure that it's in the show notes for the listeners just to click to. You know, Jesse, this is amazing, this work that you've done. You know, I think about taking, you know, what is a negative, a concussion, and then really turning that into a positive that's rooted in service for others, really, you know, enabling the outcomes for others to be better than yours. And I really, you know, acknowledge that and acknowledge your self commitment to self-improvement, you know, being that you're currently still taking courses on this, trying to better understand how to help others. And, you know, it's just such a wonderful thing to be reconnected with you and, I just want to thank you for all of your work. You know, I like this approach. I think it's really exciting. And once I stop recording here, I want to run an idea by you. Stay tuned, listeners. Uh, it'll be maybe soon. But 
you know, for those that are listening, let's say they're out there, they're struggling right now, this approach really resonates for them. How do people get in touch with you and, and support some of your work or get access to it? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm all about helping people cultivate calm clarity instead of feeding freak out fogginess, right? Like that's what we need. And so the best way to start with is just to check out my website, mindfulconcussion.ca. And in there, I have a lot of information that's really useful to survivors and professionals who care for them, including a blog and several videos, and including the video of the merging map of nervous system concepts. And then if you go to the offerings page, you can see what I have coming up, which I haven't quite nailed everything in terms of dates for the fall, but there's a few things I'd just like to highlight. One is that I just found out that I'm going to be working with an organization in Montreal called Mindspace. They're going to be bringing me on to teach Mindful Concussion Care course this fall. So I'm really happy about that. Excellent. And they're kind of hooked up with Gabor Mate and it's, mm-hmm. it's a very exciting yeah. uh, endeavor. And then I'm also going to be doing some free seminars for professionals who work with brain injury survivors just to learn a bit about the Mindful Concussion Care approach and how they can know more about that to support their clients. So if you have clients with concussion and you feel a bit overwhelmed about that, you can sign up for my newsletter. Anybody can sign up for my newsletter. And this is the best way to actually find out about ongoing offerings. And then I'm also going to be doing at least one mindfulness in nature seminar in QE Park. So for those of you who are in Vancouver, to practice some of those nature calming activities. And something that I haven't done yet, and I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to launch it, you know, because of my own capacity and having to having to walk my talk and not do too much. <laughs> but my goal at some point in the future is to launch a uh, mindful concussion membership. And through that, people will be able to sign up to come to regular Zoom classes live with me, emails, audios, videos, and other ways that we can be in community because we're all we're all learning together, we're all struggling together, and we can we can uplift one another to build our practice. And so that's that's something I want to do down the line. Right. Oh, that's great. Well, definitely, you know, that'll be in the show notes. You can just click right through to her website and check everything out that's going on with, with her and her work. So, you know, definitely we're gonna do this again. I really appreciate you and and your commitment to this work and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you so much for listening to the Brain Mastery Podcast brought to you by ABI Wellness. Be sure to follow us on social media channels at ABI Wellness. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.